kei ngā waiwai kai kapua, kei ngā waiwai kai pakiaka o te mutu, nau mai, tahuiti mai. Welcome to Mata with me, Mihingarangi Forbes, brought to you by Tamangai Pāho and the Public Interest Journalism Fund. We continue with our leaders' interviews. Tonight I'm joined by Marama Davidson, co-leader for the Green Party. E te kura uh, the Green Party has a tax policy called the Income Guarantee. It's a commitment to every New Zealander that their income uh, will never fall below $385 after tax for a single person, $770 for a couple and $735 for a single person. What will it cost? It will be paid for, all of it, with a wealth tax that in total brings in about $12 billion in the first year that will more than cover our income guarantee, our dental policy, our oceans policy, our hoki whenuamai, all of the um, priorities that we are proposing. Given that both of the major parties are not looking at a wealth tax, they've ruled out a capital gains, even you know, taxing excessive profits and stuff, does it make your policy a bit redundant? Not at all, because nothing can make the power of people's vote redundant. It is the voters who get to decide what will make it over the line in any negotiation, and our plea is if people want the wealth tax, they can vote for it. Would you be better to create a tax policy that aligns with something more Labour? No, because the Greens are clear we have to step up to the size of the challenges and ending poverty, especially whānau and tamariki poverty, will go a long way to the Aotearoa that everybody deserves. So we are doing what is right, but also what is achievable in proposing our wealth tax. Since 2020, you've held the portfolio for the prevention of family and sexual violence. Can you share any clear wins there? Getting a national strategy over the line that is a 25-year Commitment um, is a massive win, just even getting family violence organisations, sexual violence organisations, tangata whenua and kaupapa Māori organisations in the same room with government is one of the biggest achievements that this country has ever seen. And we know this is complex intergenerational change that needs to happen because the drivers of violence are at least 180 years of colonisation. So good start. I want to come back in so that we can continue that good start to the mahi that we've, that we've seen. You, um, the name of the movement is called Te Aurerikura and you talk about those structured systems and beliefs uh, that allow for violence to happen. You talk about colonisation and patriarchy as well. How does that go down to the wider public? For the sector, victim survivors, people who are impacted by uh, violence in their lives, it's long overdue, and they have been the people driving those narratives. I remember at the launch, uh, with the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, the, the people who know what, what work needs to be done said to me, we can't believe we heard the words racist and racism even being addressed in this strategy. It's really refreshing to see that we are being honest about what is in the way to end violence. It's a 25-year strategy. It's... It's so important for family and for children and um, mums and other people who have been uh, um, violated against. Do you get a sense from the other two parties that they might continue your work 
if the Greens aren't part of the next government? I've been really clear that Te Aurere Kura is owned by the community, by the people. We've already seen at political panels where the community have been hauling all candidates to account, including all political parties, to say, will you commit to ensuring Te Aurere Kura continues? So I'm pleased to see the community backing up that strategy because it belongs to them. I know and I've been grateful um, to have built the strong relationships needed to do this work across the sector. I want to come back in and continue that, but I also have faith that the community, the people, won't let the government, any government, step back on those commitments. Have you had any conversations with the National Party or ACT Party as to whether they consider this an important policy? I have over the whole term, uh, also at select committees and questions in the House, written questions. It is clear that everyone wants to end violence. It is What I think is important is that all political parties know that it is the community, the people on the ground with the lived experience, who need to be the leaders in this work. And I hope that all political parties can continue to support that. I read in one of your documents that victims are most likely to be aged between 20 and 29 and to be Māori. Mm -hmm. So when you consider that, they're probably the next generation of parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that play on your mind that if this work isn't done, we're going to create a whole generation of uh, parents who have been violated? Yes. Right now, we can choose to take the next generation or two to address the drivers of violence, and they are complex, or we can face up to another 200 years of intergenerational violence. The strategy, with all the big transformational changes that it lays down, is what will help us cut that, eliminate violence over the next one generation or two. I go to bed thinking, oh, I want it to stop now. I want all tamariki to be safe and well now. And the only way I can go to sleep is knowing, okay, I might not be able to do that. We all might not be able to do that now, but we could achieve that over a generation. And that's better. That's crucial than allowing another 180 years of intergenerational violence. We were in Napier recently speaking with Lindsay Abbott. She runs an organisation called One Voice. It's a grassroots organisation working with addiction and abuse. The problems are far no wide, she says, abuse and addiction which impact schooling, health, work, MSD obviously. So to make Lindsay's job easier and more successful, she'd need to be working alongside the police, the courts, the health, the education. But she says it's lonely down there. She's not. So how do you, you talk about multi-government conversations, but how do you get them working on the at the forefront. Want to Mahitu, was it Lindsay? Lindsay. She's exactly right. Where we are seeing um, the work actually make whānau safer is when exactly that is happening, when police, oranga tamariki, um, work and income, Māori organisations, hapu and iwi organisations, health, education, are literally in the same room, that is when we are seeing the most positive outcomes, more whānau, having other choices other than violence, having healthier ways of dealing with all these stresses. So she's absolutely right. We haven't yet seen that grow throughout the whole country. Uh, we've got some good examples in Manukau, 
in the far, far north and some in the south near Canterbury, Dunedin, but we need to see it around the whole country, including Napier. Uh, we've got some good stuff happening on the east coast. But she's right, we need to see that everywhere, and I look forward to building that up more over the years. So you've had this role for three years. How often, how many times has the police minister made space for you to have conversation about Te Aorerikura? How many times has Carmel Sepuloni from MSD said, come over Maraman, let's have a kōrero about how we're going to deal with this? Uh, constantly. I have a whole group of um, family violence, sexual violence prevention ministers who have met regularly six weeks at a, um, over six every six weeks over the past couple of years, uh, and then individually with each of those ministers. I just will say that even though I, I believe I might have had three police ministers over the term, maybe maybe more, they have all been totally committed to the work of Te Aurere which has a prevention and healing focus, a safe responses focus, a crown accountability focus, so that all of our departments can stop causing further harm, especially for victim survivors. And I look forward to continuing that joined up way of working. And I guess, again, it's like those conversations are being done at governance and government level. But, you know, uh, is the police minister having conversations with the police commissioner who's then talking to their you know, the head people in uh, Hawke's Bay to say, hey, Lindsay's out there and she's on the ground, she's got this great group of people. Like, when do we see the trickle down or the connection at that level? Yeah, it has to be at all levels. So I also have all of the minister CEs, including the police commissioner, at that round table with this work. And uh, one example is in Kahunganu recently, big ups to Kahunganu, where I was able to provide some flexible putia so that they can just do whatever the bloody hell it needs to be done. Mm. And then we already saw the example when they are forming good relationships with Fano who have had no trust of any organisations and then the Fano have turned around when when the kaka hits the fan, picked up the phone to those social workers with Kahunganu and said, please help me, things are going chaotic, I'd like to not be violent in my response. That's violence prevention mahi happening, working because it was relationship focused, not punitive focused, working because they built up trust and felt that they could put up their hand for help. And so those conversations are just starting to trickle down, but I know it will be a number of years before we see all of the attitudes change across all agencies of government. What, what percentage of the family and sexual violence budget do you think? is being spent on at the grassroots? Oh, in prevention for oh, 40, 50 years at least. Um, so, for example, it has been less than 1% mm. of funding. and that's, What would you like to see? Oh, we need to increase it to at least 10 to 15%. Overseas studies, there's very little studies, but overseas studies have shown that only when you have increased primary prevention putia out of the whole will you start to see violence prevalence not reporting, violence prevalence come down, and even then it could take 9 to 12 years to see the whole prevalence starting mm. to come down. I want to talk about Hoki Whenua Mai, which is your land policy. It's a policy which will address the taking of Māori land and starts with a $350 million, million. fund, which will be used to buy back stolen land. Mm -hmm. It will allow for the tribunal to make recommendations mm -hmm. about privately held land again. Does it mean that the council land, which was made private with a stroke of the pen, will be available for settlements? What we know is that when private land comes available, 
Iwi, haven't, Iwi and Hapu haven't had any way of holding on to that, and that's what we would like to see the starting off 350 million fund being able to be used for. It's when private land becomes available as that particular part of the policy, but also ending perpetual leases, ending those 999 or even 99 year leases where Māori have had no benefits and no control and no say and no ability to get their control back. There are things that could happen now with a stroke of a pen, um, ending the ability for the Public Works Act to take even more confiscate even more Māori land. Uh, all of those things are in our hoki whenua my policy and they're quite and, easy to and do. And Tokomaru Bay at the moment, um, you know, it's these perpetual land leases mm -hmm. up there that have continued from the late 1800s and mm -hmm. they were for the Native Township yeah. Act actually and it was in, meant to be only 21 years but they yeah. seem to, uh, it's a clerical error, yeah. they've rolled on and rolled right. on and recently the Gisborne District Council has just renewed uh, allowed another mm. one, which is the sports ground uh, in Tokomaru Bay, which is actually a Māori burial land. Mm. Tell me, walk me through how you do it. So would you would you pay out the lease? So I think um, iwi and hapu have been so generous, and I think that when people are fearful of ending perpetual leases, they are projecting... Um, they are projecting the violence of colonisation has been violent. Māori have not. Māori are not proposing to um, be unjust, to add further mamai to the mamai that has already been caused. So it's about having a conversation of what returning control to Māori hands would look like. It's about not adding further mamai and hurt on top of hurt that has been caused. That's very generous of Māori, but that has always been what Māori have been proposing. Not to run whānau off their land with guns, which is what happened to Māori. It's about having that conversation, setting it really clear this perpetual lease has to end. Would you pay them start out the conversation. I think that um, fair conversation, not hyped up over high prices in the market conversation, but I think that fair conversation is a principle of hoki whenua mai, yes, but that's Crown responsibility. Mm. Crown mucked this up, Crown accountability for fair fair um, compensation. Is that central and that. local government yeah. would have to come to the, the party as well? We are proposing that our central government uses its treaty, uh, treaty funds appropriations as part of hoki whenua mai redress the, the main principle, I think, Mihi, is starting restorative justice conversations to get control back to Māori. One of the other parts of Hoki Whenua Mai is about revisiting treaty settlements. Mm -hmm. And we all know that a treaty settlement is less than 3%, sometimes it's one point something. Yep. Um, you talk about a just and enduring settlement. So what does that look like? 10, 25, 50%? What it looks like is first and foremost that treaties aren't settled, that it's about enduring relationship and it's not something to just quickly get those Māoris off our backs. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first starting point of that. It's also not about mucking up those settlements that have already happened. It's about um, reinstating settlements are relationships, te tiriti, sorry, are relationships ongoing that you don't just sign a settlement and that's the end of the relationship, that it's ongoing. And so, oh my goodness, um, less than 2% is the majority of where settlements have fallen. Um, and actually increasing what is returned would be of benefit to all New Zealanders, not just for Māori. You know, when you consider the, the Green Party's policy on hoki whenua mai and revisiting settlements again and um, having a putia fund to 
you know, uh, to buy back stolen land and things. And then you consider the ACT Party's mm -hmm. treaty policy. What do you make of the great divide across government and uh, amongst the public at the moment? Um, really unhelpful and quite harmful to democracy, actually, that the fear, the ignorance and the racism has been whipped up by political leaders. In my view, that is unconscionable for any political leaders to be whipping up that fear and that ignorance, when instead we could actually be aspirational for Aotearoa. And just look at the examples around us where you've got Māori, Tauiwi, Pākehā of all backgrounds, um, people of all backgrounds coming together and working on, say, restoring a river. We're, we're here in Pamua, um, Gleninus community is an example, um, where people have been coming together to restore the creek, the awa here, Omaru, and that is what Tetiriti relationships could look like all around the country, remove the fear that actually this is about Māori having responsibility to lead um, the restoration of our communities and our living systems, and that will benefit everybody. Totally get you know your answer. I, I wonder if you actually addressed the divide between oh. uh, you know at the different policies on different sides. And yeah. actually, when I think about the minor parties, all four of them are Maori leaders. Yeah, yeah. gosh, um, the the divide is about power at any cost, and the divide is about. Um, cheap politics um, and using whatever means to get headlines, to get controversy. Like, you're not going to go out and say Nelson Mandela is going to vote for my very conservative right-wing party without knowing that you're going to purposely whip up controversy on one hand, whip up racism on that same hand, but on the other hand, put people off engaging. So that's what I want people to understand is it's, it's not a divide. It's a purposeful tactic to put people off, the people who believe in a progressive Aotearoa, particularly to put young people off, to look at politicians and go, what a bunch of clowns, I am not voting, I don't want anything to do with that stupid system. That is intentional. I'm urging people to resist that, to maintain their mana in their vote. Mm. People talk about the Green Party and... Um Often, you know, it's thought that there's a social justice element to it and then there's a green, you know, clim mm. a climate element. Mm. Um, but there's much more in the Green Party. How would you uh, define, you know, the top ten of your Green Party? Well, if you start with te tiriti, te tiriti, not the treaty, but te tiriti as an umbrella or a korawai, perhaps, a cloak, everything can come under that. Climate justice is about um, our kaitiaki responsibilities to leave a stable climate for our mokopuna. Te taiao justice is about protecting our waters, soils, our earth, and remembering that we are the whakapapa of papatuanuku. And again, there's a tiriti justice aspect to mana, mana and hapu, um, the hapu of mana and iwi, uh, maintaining those responsibilities over their connections to their lands. And social justice under Te Tiriti is about equity, including for Māori, and equity for everyone who has a place to belong in Aotearoa, which starts with the unique status of tangata whenua. So for us, it's a neat, tidy and interrelated picture. Um, we, it is essential to uphold 
Manamotu hake and tenorangatiratanga if we want to protect our climate, protect our living systems and make sure everyone has what they need in communities. Let's talk about Taiao. Um, the Green Party wants more action on climate change. Uh, they want a circular economy, you mm. want producers to take more responsibility for mm -hmm. their waste, to me, to me, to me, and you want individuals to do the same. Mm. You didn't get many runs on the board in the past six years. Do you regret <laughs> not being tougher on Labour? We, well, tell me, your, tell me sure. what you got on the board. I mean, for example, the, the strongest climate action in six years than we've seen in three decades, the first ever, ever nationwide intergenerational strategy with commitments in it to end, to end violence. Um, actually even starting any of the work in the waste area was under Eugenie. The Jobs for Nature, which all of my hapua niwi are using that funding to restore our own marae and our valleys. Um, so many more, but I guess the point is we are too also frustrated with the pace of change for climate, for papatuanuku, for um, ending poverty. And with only two ministers, we've achieved that much this term but we need more Green MPs, more Green Ministers. Um, we've shown that we've got enduring policies too, so the warmer, the warmer Healthy Homes was Jeanette right back in a national government. It's still, been, it's still living to this day. It's expanded and improved. That's an example of an enduring Green um, vision, and we want to do more of that. Your co-leader, James Shaw, he's been at the helm of the ETS, the Emissions Trading Scheme. Um, some say it's kind of like a pollution share market where you can buy your way out of the paru that you mm. create. I mean, did you want more out of the ETS? Did you want it to focus more on um, organisations being more responsible for the pollution that they're creating? Yes, and including both transport and agriculture are the biggest two polluter sectors, sectors with the biggest emissions, and we absolutely want to put a proper price on methane emissions and agriculture emissions to bring that down, to bring those emissions down, but also more putia and support for farmers to change the way that they use land, water and emit methane. And so absolutely that's a particular example where we too but, um, but, would but, like to but see stronger But the government action. that you were part of um, actually gave the opportunity to the farming sector to come up with their own plan, mm -hmm. Hewaka Eke Noa, and in the end they weren't interested. Do you think you're, you're not tough enough? I think we need more Green MPs and more Green Ministers around the Cabinet table. Uh, both of our current ministerial portfolios are not at Cabinet, and so... Is it, was that a mistake? Uh, it was the, where the numbers fell on the night of the 2020 election. Uh, we would have preferred to be, and especially in hindsight, where that's where the levers are, um, but that's where the numbers fell. So even with that, James has still been able to get stuff done, but we're not satisfied, and James has been um, really public, we've both been really upfront, that the Greens are not satisfied with the pace of change. Um, we're proud of what we've been able to get done, but we think that people can see Imagine how much more we could do with more Green MPs. You're looking uh, to possibly have your best um, performance uh, this election if the numbers stick. Will you make the planet your bottom line this time? We've been really transparent about our priorities. We've talked about income guarantee and wealth tax, 
rent cap. We've talked about free dental for everyone and we've talked about climate safe resilience and uh, reducing our climate pollution and protecting our moana. We are saying to people, it is your choice. It is kaya koutou te mana. You have the opportunity to get our solutions over the line the more that you vote for us. And that's our message and our transparency to people. There's been a couple of um, polls out in terms of seats and... Um actually just read an article this morning talking about, I, I, I actually didn't remember that it was Jeanette Fitzsimons that won the first mm-hmm. and it was all, it took that many years for Chloe Swalbrook mm-hmm. to win the second seat. Yeah. So your fingers and toes are crossed for which seats? Wellington Central's looking awesome. Tamitha Paul has just got a grassroots green machine down there. Rungatai Central for the first time is interesting with Julie and Genta. Of course, Auckland Central. Chloe's working really hard. She ain't taking that for granted. Mount Albert with Ricardo is going off with a boom. I've been door knocking out there and really positive responses as well. I've been door knocking in all of those ele- uh, electorates actually. And Huhana in the north um, in Taitokero. Holy heck, she knows everyone. <laughs> I was there to launch um, her campaign. So I've got my, I've got really um, uh, my hopes up. What are you hearing up there? Because she's going up against Calvin Davis. Yeah, I'm hearing that her. Her credit in Manu, uh, in Hapu um, focus, is is a really strong point for her. The fact that she's really linked, uh, it was a it was a real honour to have some of those uh, key aunties at her launch and being very visible about their support for her. So we take that seriously. We take that on board. Not so much a national threat in the Maori seats, but in those other, the Wellington Central, the Auckland Central, are you worried? You know. Those numbers are so close in Wellington Central with Tamantha, she's, Tamantha, she's 26, mm. I think it is. Someone else is 28, the other one's 30. H- have you had any conversations with the Labour Party about sharing one of them? Uh, we know it's up for grabs. Um, Chloe was third out of three, out of three top in the polls as well, just before she then... Could you pull one out and, and, and win one? Oh, we're just going to go for it. We're just going to go for all of them. Um, we are entitled to go for all of them. And actually, we think that we can take all of them. But Wellington Central, um, Rungotai, are particularly fearsome campaigns that we're running, and I'm just I'm just urging them to go for it. Um, Ocean Sanctuaries, we haven't got much time, but that's been a topic of conversation. We haven't had a lot of success in the last mm-hmm. decade. What's your position on uh, the Kumadek Ocean Sanctuary? Start with Te Tiriti. John King mucked it up when he went and did a, did a, a quick little um, grab uh, for headlines and said, oh, yeah, we'll have a sanctuary. He didn't talk to Māori about it at all, didn't talk to Iwi and Hapu about it at all, and that's why it's stuffed Will up. your Ocean Sanctuary include Ngāti Kuri and Te Aupauri? Yes. Our Ocean... Because we're not predetermining where, we've said 30% as a as an all-round aim, but our point is start with te tiriti, start with mana um, hapu, mana moana, iwi and hapu, and that's the only way we will get enduring protection for our, for our oceans. When you talk to other parties around Parliament, are they supportive of a Kermadec Ocean Sanctuary? Yes. So is this a possibility that could happen? Yes, it is. It is. It needs to, though, start from the recognising that the only way to protect our moana for generations to come is starting with te tiriti justice, is starting with the, the local communities being able to decide how and which areas need to be protected. And that's where we've gone wrong all these decades to date. 
I just want to touch before we finish, uh, Elizabeth Kirikiri has left and she's standing as an independent. She talked about how her mana wasn't intact in the, in the process. What, did you have a, you know, you're both wahine Māori, did you use a tikanga-based approach for her exit? What I want to say is, I've been clear, we disagree with um, Dr Kirikiri on how she is um, putting up the story of what happened. And I'm not going to relitigate that. And what I, what was important for me as Wahine Māori was upholding the tikanga of responsibility, responsibility for a safe workplace for all of our staff and our kaimahi. That's a really important tikanga that I take seriously is looking after kaimahi, um, recognising the power imbalance between MPs and kaimahi particularly. And that is the process that we wanted to run, but it was Dr Kirikiri who cut it short. All the best for the campaign. We'll be back in a week. Nohoro mai. Ko te reo, te take.